Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Friends, we still have things to say about Andor, including a lot of your great feedback, as well as we have an awesome guest today, someone with a lot of great opinions on Andor and Ahsoka, and so we'll be discussing some of your Ahsoka feedback as well. All that and more after commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. My name is Matthew. They, them pronouns. I'm your host. I'm joined, as almost always, by Mr. Paul Hoppy. Uh, Paul, how are we doing today? I am doing quite well. A little bit tired, as I stayed up late last night watching Andor. I literally watched the entire show, front to back, in, I guess, 10 hours or so, and Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyed it, actually, more than the first time. And, uh, yeah, I am happy to be here. Yeah, I got to do the same thing. As I've mentioned, I, I only watch these things episode by episode so I can stay up with the conversations. I much prefer binging them. And my partner, Mary, hates watching things episode by episode. So most of the time I watch the whole thing episode by episode. And then like right after it was done over a weekend, Mary and I binged the whole thing. So mm. Not Excellent. quite one day, but like two days. So it's sure. pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and joining us, as I mentioned, I have a great guest, Aaron McGowan. Uh, Aaron is an Ahsoka cosplayer and uh, Ahsoka and general Star Wars enthusiast. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Um, staying warm. I'm in Minnesota, as are you. We had a kind of a snowy mm-hmm. morning today. So, you know, same old, same old. But Yep. Yep. It's a... Uh, um, not it's a pretty easy to find time to stay in and podcast yeah, when right <laughs> by snow uh we live on hoff and so that's a thing so we have a lot to dive into with both andor and ahsoka but first aaron let's have a chance for you just to introduce yourself a little bit more talk a little more about kind of how you come to star wars and uh cosplaying ahsoka especially yeah so i have always been a star wars fan um my dad was a huge fan of star wars in the 70s when it first came out so i grew up watching like a New Hope very much. The other two, mm-hmm. Empire and, you know, Return of the Jedi, I also watched. But A New Hope was definitely a big one for me. And then when the Clone Wars movie came out, I was seven or eight. Like, it was the perfect age for me to love it. Looking back, not a great movie. Lots of flaws. <laughs> but I was obsessed. Ahsoka, as in all of her, like, annoying glory, I was like, that is me. That is a little girl, and she's a Jedi, and I can do that. So immediately she was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched, you know, the Clone Wars as it came out, all that. I'm obsessed with the clones. They're a favorite of mine for sure, as long or as well as Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Star Wars has just always been like a big comfort for me because it's been so ingrained in my life. Um, Lately, I've been rewatching everything and listening to all this podcast as I've needed more comfort in my life. (laughs) And it's been really (laughs) lovely. Um, but yeah, uh, cosplaying is something new to me. I've always mm-hmm. thought it was really cool, admired people who've done it, but didn't really know if I had the artistic talent, didn't know if I had the time or just the commitment to do it. Um, but I actually went to a balloon festival in Albuquerque, and they had a Yoda and a Darth Vader hot air balloon. And oh. along with the air balloons, they brought like 20 cosplayers. There was a bunch of stormtroopers. There were sand troopers. There was Mara Jade, Luke, Leia, all the good stuff. And I was like, these people are so cool. Like, I want to be like these people. And that was just this October. So I went online, immediately bought an Ahsoka cosplay costume. It came in. It was great. I wore it for Halloween, but I thought, you know, it could be better. So I ended up going and finding some 
templates on Etsy to make my own headdress, the Monchols and the Leku is what they're called. Um, mm-hmm. And then also my own armor. So, yeah, I've been working through that. I've gone to the Twin Cities Comic Con and then another just event here in the cities as Ahsoka. So it's been a really fun time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I have to say, when I imagine where people's cosplay journeys be, uh, begin, a hot air balloon uh, conference or gathering in Albuquerque was not what I had on my list. Right. But, um, <laughs> you know, cosplay is everywhere these days. So yeah. I love that. And I will say, and we'll get, have a chance to like uh, find all the places that Aaron is at the end. But I'll say one of the things that I really enjoyed is you've been doing uh, TikToks about that cosplay journey. And it's been great kind of watching that all come along. Yeah, I'm so glad that you found me on TikTok and mm-hmm. I've been following along. It's been fun. Nice, nice. Well, and so let me start with just kind of, uh, we have a couple of uh, good feedbacks about Andor, and uh, Paul and I have had a lot to say about that show, uh, as well as some other guests. And let me kind of just start by giving the floor to you. What's been your kind of overall feeling about Andor? Andor has been fantastic. I was very pleasantly surprised. It kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize it was coming out until it was going to be releasing in a week. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have all that time to build expectations and things like that which is how I prefer it. I'm kind of like you guys. I don't like to watch trailers. I don't like to know what's going on ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just like the characterizations, the screenwriting, the score, like the detail you guys brought up about how every intro um, for every episode, they add a new instrument into the intro music Mm -hmm. or the title music, I guess. Um, So, yeah, I've overall been very impressed. Um, I liked that you guys had last week, um, it was AJ uh, Danielle and Danielle. And okay. Mm-hmm. I was really glad that they were able to come on and talk about some of the like cultural and racial aspects of it because as a white person, I, you know, I saw some of it, but totally missed a lot of what mm-hmm. they had to say. So I was really glad that they could come on, point out some of the issues because it's not a perfect show. It's a really good show, right. but it's not a perfect show. And so, yeah, I've just been enjoying the depth, the conversation online and with friends about it. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways, I think that's the best thing I can say about the show. And I can say many, many good things about it. But it's just I'm going to have to work hard to stop just doing podcasts about Andor and move <laughs> on to other stuff. Because yeah. There's just so much it brings up from everything it has to say about leftist politics and, and rebellion and revolution to all the cultural stuff and sort of the questions that that raises to just the music, the cinematography, all of it. Yeah. So first of all, I just wanted to mention that um, I live on Tatooine, uh, <laughs> a desert a desert city that, one, that is actually named the Valleys because it once was lush and green and whatever, but now it's mm-hmm. you know just Las Vegas. Um, and I would like to reintroduce myself as an aspiring Luthan Rail cosplayer, even though I don't okay. have any actual aims to do that. That cloak in that one scene was just kind of like <laughs> the most awesome thing I've ever seen someone wear. So I want one of those. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I actually like I do think it's a perfect show. Like and that seems like a ridiculous thing to say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in terms of doing what it sets out to do i i think it is like virtually flawless and yeah. having rewatched it just all straight back to back to back to etc cetera, etc cetera, um i think there's a lot of things that are it it's just more coherent than like basically 
almost any story that I can think of. And um, I haven't listened to the most recent podcast episode that I I was not on. Um, There's a whole lot about that conversation that I think is interesting. And then there's some other things that um, some of it actually makes me kind of livid. And I actually don't want to get into that. Which is, which makes for great podcasting, right? Um, <laughs> but like, basically, I, I think there's, there's like a couple things about any, any story, right? Any work of fiction, which is you can look at it sort of from a, what is it saying? Or like, how does it sit within the context of the society in which it's created and, or the societies in which it's, it's, you know, um, uh, received. Right. Right. And I think there's plenty of things to say about that. Um, and I think different people should have different perspectives when it comes to that. Right. Because people do have different perspectives. And so everybody's going to kind of receive, um, a story in, in their own way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just in terms of like execution, I think in terms of saying like such and such was bad because it didn't deal with this or this or whatever. Or, oh, if there's just this one line of dialogue or, oh, this character should have felt like this because I felt like this when I had some similar thing or I know someone with a similar story. It's like that. I don't think that's the human experience. Like, I don't think there is a human experience. Like, everybody has their own experience. And to me, I just feel like I know each of these characters as they are in the show feels to me 100% like a real person. And someone saying, oh, I think this person should have felt this way or whatever. I I don't know. I just think they're wrong. Um, Which isn't to say... They're wrong if they said, I think this person could have felt this way, or I would have connected with this story more if this person felt this way, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And like one example that I bring up a lot is like Shang-Chi, which I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I felt so represented by that movie. And I've seen other people say, oh, well, that didn't match my experience. So I don't think that's an accurate representation. It's like, well, maybe it's not an accurate representation of someone's experience, but that doesn't mean it's not an accurate representation of someone else's experience. Um, and so to me, just the show feels very much to me, like each of these people are people and, you know, whatever you want to say about how it sits within the world at large, like, yeah, you know, um, as far as I'm concerned, that's like, that's opinion, you know, and people are welcome to theirs. And I'm happy that people have platforms to express those, you know? Um, but at the same time, just, I, there's, there's one line that I would unchange. And besides that, I wouldn't change a line of dialogue. And if you know it, you know it. And if you don't, uh, I don't know. It'll probably be my next tweet. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm guessing it has to do with the last line of a particular speech. Indeed. Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. Yeah. A four-letter word better than a five-letter word. I understand what you're coming from. Word. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I need to at some point go through and write down exactly when in that episode we spoil minor things from Wakanda forever. Because mm. uh, so Paul, you oh, can right. just do yes. it some more. I think you'll find that conversation is, is a lot. There's a lot we're sort of like talking about why we're not talking about it. Um, but it, it's there. There's I think there's a lot more depth and and nuance to the conversation than what has often been seen on TikTok uh, and cool. Twitter and places like that. Yeah. But, um, uh, if you if you don't listen to it, great. If you do, though, I think we'll be very interested in, in that conversation. And I. I definitely understand what you mean, though, about, like, for me, it's funny, uh, Aaron, you mentioned the the Clone Wars, because a lot of the stuff early in Star Wars, uh, and, like, 
how you grew up with uh, Clone Wars, like for me, that was a new hope. Uh, so your comment about your father made me feel very old. Thank you very much for that. Um, but like, I definitely like, I can look back on a new hope and be like, okay, so there's some parts of this that are maybe not the best or that maybe would be done better in different ways, but I'm always going to love the hell out of it. Andor, I think though, is one of the, is, as watched more and more Star Wars, there's a lot, there's a lot of more stuff where I'm like, okay, this is just like, the cinematography, the editing, the dialogue, it feels like is just much better as a weird subjective word, but Andor feels like, in many ways, the most complex thing they've ever put out, you know? And it's, it's the furthest away, I think, from the, like, you know, Jedi good, Empire bad, mm. and that's part of what I love about it. But it, it I don't want to be careful with myself that this isn't the bar that's set for everything, because I feel like... If I go right from, the, I know new Bad Batch is coming out. I think that's going to be really fun. I think it's not going to be on this level, and I just have to be okay with that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing it going forward. Yeah, like I don't think it's the bar. I think it's the ceiling. Like yeah. I absolutely love the original trilogy. They are formative movies for me. Like when, which I watched as a child, and then again a lot as a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. During a brief period when I empathized like a lot with Vader. Um, <laughs> And I'll say, like, I, I just, this is better. Like, I just think it is more well-made. And that doesn't mean, like, it's better in terms of a better story or whatever. It it does have different complexities. And, I mean, it when, it's a new format, you know? Yeah. It's like a new way of delivering a story because it's essentially four feature films plus a connective episode delivered all at once or, you know, across 10 weeks. Um, and, you know, coming from like both my parents worked in film, right? My dad was a cameraman and my, my mom was a film editor and, and I write. And so I, I feel like in terms of just the craft of, of filmmaking, um, it, it's just like Star Wars, the original trilogy was inventive and it create it like, pioneered technology right the way then uh decades later the matrix did and and is is ongoing and, and in fact the mandalorian pioneered technology right mm-hmm. um one thing that i think sets andor apart is that it's like this throwback where they're they're using real sets they built like an eight and a half acre ferrix like an, they built a place you know that's amazing and and it feels that way that's felt right because it's it's there and they they built cultures that like you know th- where they all hang their gloves outside the union hall right and and so there's so much that didn't end up on screen but there's not a single scene that like hit the cutting room floor like they th- there's no outtakes you know or there's no no um no deleted scenes right it's like they just wrote the show and then they shot the show and they flipped two scenes because of fog um which is actually a kind of funny aside story, but um, yeah, I, I just think like for me, I might not watch anything else for a while because I don't want to compare it to this because I just think in terms of execution, I, I don't, I don't think you can do better. So expecting everyone to always do best is just unreasonable. It's just unfair. And so I'm just, I've enjoyed this. It's been great. Um, and like, maybe I'll just watch something completely different next. Like the bad batch actually, I think is, is a great change of pace because it's animation. Right. And, and to me, I feel like animation, it just doesn't get compared in the brain for me exactly the same way that live action does. And that's not to say I discounted. I love animation. I love the clone wars. I think season seven of the clone wars is 
some of the best Star Wars, you know, and, and when it came out, I was like, maybe this is the best Star Wars. Um, but I'm, it still has the best lightsaber fight. It definitely has the best lightsaber fight. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is phenomenal. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, (laughs) I, I don't have much more to say, honestly, at a certain point, you know, kind of going off what both of you guys were saying about, um, feeling that it's um like the best or the ceiling but that like matthew you're saying maybe better isn't quite the best word and the way i kind of equate it is like it seems the most realistic and the most relatable Mm -hmm. like the characters are so real and everything about them every choice none of them are perfect all of them have flaws like marva Mm -hmm. you know she turned around and really like got that mob going, got people in Ferrix to, like, turn against the Empire. But the show started out with her literally stealing a child. Mm-hmm. Like, it just shows the depth and complexity of humans. And, well, not right. humans, because some are aliens, but you get <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> but mostly humans, and that's probably why the show is mostly humans, right? Like, right. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I think, actually, this is a question for you, Aaron, although for all of us, um, but the way you were talking about how, you know, really falling in love with Ahsoka, I, I love the Jedi. I love the Force. I love lightsabers. I don't think it's coincidental that this show is is so realistic and doesn't have any of that. We, there's, I don't think there was ever a lightsaber turned on. Any, I mean, uh, you know, his ship has kind of like weird energy beam things that make yeah. his whole ship look like a huge... Darth Maul lightsaber, but that's not the same. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, what was it like for you to so enjoy something that had none of the the force? It was, I mean, great. I enjoyed it incredibly, regardless. Mm-hmm. I think that hasn't even occurred to me, honestly. Yeah. Like, it just is so good. It's lacking nothing. There's no need for a lightsaber battle to fill time. There's no need for people to be pulling walls down and throwing people across the room with the force as cool as that is to see. I love to see like the boots on the ground, everyday life people that are just, as I said before, so much more relatable to us. Yeah. Like I I think a lot about um, uh, Matthew Capel, the professor who's been a guest on a couple times, he talks a lot of anthropology and a topic we got into a little bit with him on air, but I've also gotten to him. So off air is, you know, how, myth and legend is often inspired by real stories and that are just not quite as flat. And like, to me, this show felt very much like the real story Mm. that then like the myths and stuff grow out of. And yeah, yeah, the force is real in this world, Mm -hmm. but I, I I don't think it would have been the same if there had been, you know, a Jedi showed up or like Vader had been chasing them at some point or anything like that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I feel like, I think it's important, like in that regard to be like, and thus it's different, right? Yeah. As opposed to, I, I see a lot of discussion, even though I don't see that much discussion, but a lot of what I see is like, is, is very comparative. And like, I know I literally just did that, but like <laughs> my point was kind of like that. I think just because something can be this good and then also specifically this kind of thing, it, it doesn't mean that like, anything else needs to be enjoyed less, right? It's like, for me, I think I just need like a little bit of a sorbet or like, (laughs) you know, something different um, to like, I probably will watch a comedy next, you know, just Mm -hmm. to like, just totally change and be like, there's like a different approach to whatever I'm watching and then watch something else. And I, I think some of that comparison can sometimes be like, 
it's like it doesn't have to be like that, right? Like you could love a lot of different things and you know, literally the podcast we were talking about Star Wars before Andor, I was like <laughs> lightsabers and the force are why I love Star Wars. <laughs> you know? I remember that. And then now I'm like this is my favorite Star Wars thing, and it has neither. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so... And I think you're yeah. right. Like, I mean, cause one of the things about the show is it's challenging. It makes me think. And when I... Sometimes I just want to watch Spaceship blow each other up mm. and, and cool lights. And like and like you were saying, uh, Aaron, like, if I'm babysitting a seven-year-old who's like, show me Star Wars, I'm probably not starting with this, you know? <laughs> like, some seven-year-olds I am. Um, yeah, no, I'm totally having a seven-year-old watch this first. I, I thought there was immediately what I thought of when um, when I acquire one, uh. yeah. <laughs> like Marva. There's a, there's a joke there about your defense of Marva, but we're just not going to go there at all. Oh, I, that was the joke I was making. <laughs> okay, there we go. Perfect. Um. Anyway, this is probably a good way to move in. Uh, actually, no. One last thing I'll say about that is I actually decided this was a perfect time to start watching Star Wars Resistance, oh. which is another animated show that um. I wasn't sure if I was going to watch, but then a, a person I've been following on Twitter was like telling me all about it. And then another guy who followed that person was was saying that I really should check it out. And I realized that was the actual person who's the lead voice actor in the show. Right, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> okay, awesome. I need to... And it's been the perfect palate cleanser because mm. it is fun. It's much more lighthearted. Right. It's, it's definitely aimed at a much younger audience. Again, well, all the ageism of that statement aside, sure, but like sure. in terms of the complexity and the details and the humor. Mm-hmm. But it's so perfect. It's like... Okay, I just had this really heavy meal. Now give me something light, you know? Right, right. Um, so, and we'll be talking about that more. But this is a good time to uh, segue into some of your feedback, which we are going to talk about. Uh, and for some of you, we're not going to get a chance to get your feedback. Some others, um, I think it's fitting because this this whole podcast is about why say something in three words when you can say it in 20. Um, so you listeners have answered that by saying a whole bunch of things in a whole bunch of words. <laughs> I'm going to try and read all of them. Some of these we're going to cut down a bit just to make sure we have time to get through all this. Uh, but I will start with a great, very short email that was sent that I really appreciated. Uh, came in from Cobb Squad, which I assume is a reference to Harley Quinn, uh, the, the TV show, and a wonderful bit of that. Cobb Squad for life. Uh, and all they write is, and for context here, Fiona Shaw is the actress who played Marva. Andor. The thrilling tale of how Fiona Shaw delivered the word bastard with so much contempt that eventually the dark Death Star exploded. And like, yeah, I yeah. can see that. That's exactly what happened. That's my version of history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the true story of, of where myths come from. <laughs> right? And it's funny because this it came out of a discussion about how like I, I hadn't really put together the first time I saw the after the, the first time I saw the um, end credit scene. I was just like, oh, okay, they're reminding us that all this is pointing us towards the Death Star, because I'm not very good at noticing details. Then I watched it again. I was like, oh, the stuff that Andor built is part of building the Death Star, and a that's about him like starting to help to build it, but also helping to destroy it. But I also got another thing out of it. Maybe I'm just reading this into it. I don't know, but it, it definitely feels right to me. Part of what was coming to me throughout the whole show is, yes, Andor is physically building the parts that are going to get used to build the Death Star, or at least one small part of it, with the whole uh, prison labor thing. But also, to me, one of the main ideas that I really got in the show, especially when I watched it the second time, is, you know, there's a lot of people in the Empire who don't love the Death Star, who don't want it, and the, the books go into that a lot more, but that... Andor is involved with these two things, one of which the rising on Ferex, the other which the robbery on Aldani, 
that kind of shake a lot of the Imperials' idea of untouchability. You mm. know, and we see that especially with Dedra. But like, I can imagine a lot of people in the in the sort of the military and things like that who are like, "Come on, we don't need a Death Star. That's that's a huge waste of money." And now they see these uprisings and are like, "Okay, maybe maybe we do need some more fear. Maybe we do need some more repression." Which Andor is responsible for. Yeah, I mean, responsible for. Like, Somewhat. <laughs> you know. It is, Tied into. Yeah, it, it participates in events that lead to said chain reaction. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and also is the weapon that, you know, kills him at the end, right? Spoilers yeah. for Rogue One. Uh, it, to me, the thing that – I mean, I think that's all – those are very good points. Um, I, to me, the thing that I kind of took away from it later – Rewatching that scene was like how small that piece is compared to the yeah, Death Star. So small. So small. And like they made so many of them. And how many people is the Empire, you know, arresting, just randomly grabbing them and, and pressing into labor across, you know, the galaxy in order to build that one thing, you know, to, to murder a billion people with? Like, it's just the scale of the Death Star compared to the, the like the the amount of human suffering that goes into building that just feels right, yeah. just massive, overwhelming. Yeah, both in I, and I know we're all kind of we're used to using the word human, but I, Paul, I know from you you talking that you'd be the first one to be like, we're, and we're talking about all species because we see both the humans who are in the prison suffering. But then also the non-humans who are on the planet suffering because of what the prison is doing. It's exactly. all levels of this mm-hmm. that yeah. are coming together. Yeah, I, I seeing it helps me better believe that it took twenty years. I still don't yes. get why it takes three years to build the next one, but that's that's a whole other story. Why not? You know how long it took. To, wait, you mean only three years? Or yeah, yeah. Oh, like why is the second one faster than the first one? Yeah. Oh, I mean, because they've done it before. Maybe they started building the second one while they were still building the first one. Like, okay, I don't know. I can headcanon all kinds of things here. I'm a, I'm a headcanon, you know. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I really loved the detail of, like, how what he was making, you know, is the Death Star. And little pat myself on the back moment. But from the moment they were in that prison working, I was like... I bet you this is for the Death Star. Like, mm. who needs so many things duplicated, duplicated, duplicated? Like, who needs that? Mm. And my personal headcanon about that is that each um, facility on Narkina, they're Narkina 5, and they were creating those little star-shaped things. And then Narkina 6 is a whole other, you know, prison full of people creating a different part for the Death Star. Mm. And so that's how I like to think about it. But it was just so cool to see it all come together in that end credit scene. I was like, it all makes sense. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I I think you're definitely right that like different prisons make different parts and then they get assembled in space by droids that don't have to breathe. Yeah. And even how like the one prison um, Keef is in, Cassian, is all humans. I think maybe Narkina... 29 is all Ithorians or right, for sure. all yeah. Twi'leks yeah. and they're doing something that's more designed for their special abilities mm-hmm. to make a different right. part. Yeah. No, yeah. Th- there's another part that needs to be manufactured underwater. And so that's mm-hmm. where the Mon Calamari are. Right, like, right. Know, whatever it is. Uh, all right. Another email is a little bit longer uh, from Dylan Diggs, who's a, a 
uh, frequent writer into this podcast and was a big fan of a lot of the other Stranded Panda podcasts. Dylan writes, thanks for everything you do. I'll be honest that I still don't know what I think about Andor. I think he wrote this in like halfway through. So Dylan, feel free to tell us what you think. Yeah, now. it feels like the first few. But what I do love is the politics of it, particularly with the Mon Mothma scenes. I've worked professionally in foreign assistance for over a decade. So naturally our conversations often have been about the galactic governance issues facing the Star Wars universe. One thing I'm truly looking out for is demonstrating the government's failures. I think the lessons of Star Wars is clear. Expecting to have a coherent galactic government is a flawed approach. It doesn't work during a semi-democratic corporatist system in the Republic. It doesn't work as a space fascist system, and it doesn't seem to be working in Mando. The Outer Rim seems perpetually underdeveloped, and government structures are at best absent. This turned into a long email, but I wanted to reflect a conversation you had in an Andor reflection issue. Uh, quote, what breeds revolutions? I think this is actually a conversation we had with Professor Matthew. Mm-hmm. You're right. It tends to be a, a confluence of factors among a series of stakeholders. Even coups need some decayed buy-in among the elite. But really, it's when folks lose faith in the current system. Oftentimes, for marginalized groups, that comes associated with human rights abuses. But for a lot of people, it's, well, do the trains run on time? I haven't been able to tell if the trains run on time yet in the Empire. My sense is that it is for a lot of folk. My sense is that for a lot of folks, they haven't seen a lot of change in the three generations we've seen on film. A lot of history has happened, but their lives haven't. But their lives haven't changed. Thanks so much, Dylan. Uh, I don't think I have some thoughts here, but what, what about either of you? I mean, I think it's a great point that, like, a galactic governing system is never going to work out because there's just too many species, too much space, too many planets. So I think Dylan has a great point there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, as, as an anarchist, I co-sign that. Uh, I, w- <laughs> I would say even smaller governments in terms of the sense of government that, you know, most people think of, I think is also inherently flawed in a lot of ways. But, you know, that's not to say like, I actually think like the original, there's a concept for the Jedi that would make all the sense in, well, the galaxy, if mm-hmm. basically what they are, are not space cops, but like, uh, what's a, a better word? Um, like dispute resolvers, you know? Yeah. Like basically, mediators. hmm? Mediators. mediators. That, thank you. That, that is actually the word that, <laughs> that is the lightning, not the lightning bug that I was trying to come up with. Um, where, you know, they basically go around the galaxy and try and help solve disputes and whatever, right. you know? And I think having some sort of group, um, that has some amount of power that goes around and basically tries to prevent the abuse of power by the power structures locally in place. Whereas, you know, I think any kind of sensible, effective government usually is going to, is going to be heavily locally based, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, cause yeah, there's a lot of different places in the world and in the galaxy, there's even more, right? And so having some like, one overarching we are going to make up all the rules for everybody everywhere is just just ridiculous right um whereas i think a concept of what the jedi could be actually makes some sense but then when they be when they just become generals for the republic it's like well that's a disaster you know um i would say that i think the trains run on time in coruscant you know but maybe not in the outer rim. Right. And yeah. I mean, maybe there's, I mean, the, the trains get hijacked in the outer rim, but uh, enough about book of Boba Fett. Um, 
I do think that in the three generations, I think there has been a lot of change for people like on the ground. But I think was this was it Luthen or uh, I think Luthen and and uh, Nemec both kind of make this point that like you know the empire is squeezing gradually in right. a way that it's not felt, but like it's it's real. It's happening, right? But it's not – it seems like on Ferrix things didn't change that much except like, yeah, the Empire came in just to hang up their flag, you know, and murdered Clem because yeah. that's that's what they are, right? And um, I think that that's happening all over the galaxy and other places they're squeezing tighter. But it, it's – you know, I, I think Nemec's quote is something like – um, the, the pace of oppression outstrips our ability to understand it, right? Or outpaces our ability to understand it. And, um, and I think that's kind of what's going on is that like people are being squeezed. Things are changing. Things never seem to really get better, you know, after, I mean, if you take everything that happens after Return of the Jedi in, in the timeline, um, it, it seems like, okay, so history is repeating again. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't seem like things were great under the, the old Republic or the, was that the high, what's the period of, of time just before the Empire? The late Republic? Or was that the, I, I guess so. Yeah. The, the, the falling Republic, yeah, the, the high Republic is like, uh, up to about like a hundred years ago, right? Okay, so this is the kind of decaying of the republic, right? But right, um, I had some coherent thought. It's gone. So someone else talk. <laughs> Aaron, what do you think? Uh, are we still talking about Dylan's email? Sure. Yeah, yeah we're, we're kind of talking about it <laughs> or anything. We don't focus on a simple thing. This is a pinball <laughs> show. We. <laughs> I can jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't I mean to put nothing. you on the spot. That, I, I was I, there's a couple things there that I want to jump on. Um, first, just in terms of what you were saying about like the the Jedi being more sort of mediators and conflict resolution instead of cops. Um, a, I mean, I, I think yeah. Like uh, to me, like we have this debate right now in our own world. Yeah, yeah. Like that's like, what we should have. <laughs> right. And and uh, Aaron, I don't. You you read the um, Aaron? I don't know if you read the High Republic books, but one of the things in the in those books is that much more often that is what the mm. Jedi are. So I think, right. Paul, if we get some uh, visual media of that, you're going to enjoy it because there is a lot. Like, And even like awesome. when um, uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are sent to the Trade Federation, that's in theory what they're supposed to be. It's just that the Trade Federation is like, hi, cool, let's negotiate. We're going to try and kill you. Right, right, um, right. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. go right. In terms, I, I think the, so yeah, I think a lot of what Dylan says makes a lot of sense, especially in terms of um, like, we can kind of romanticize the Republic, but I was just thinking a couple days ago, the Republic itself isn't even very democratic. Like most of the most of the na the uh, planets we hear about are monarchies of some kind or another. Right. Like Naboo is an elected monarchy. I don't quite get how that works, but like a lot of them aren't. And there's often a lot of corruption in how people are chosen, who get sent to the Senate and stuff like that. And it all kind of and. And in terms of the train runs on time, I think it was probably my favorite point in the email because and I've talked about this before in some of the other books. I think they really make the point that, it, like that that train make the trains run on time thing. That was how Mussolini came to power. That was his slogan because he was talking about how Italy in uh, after World War One it was just utter chaos. It was the same thing with Napoleon after the French Revolution. And and then, you know, you could say Putin in Russia today, you could say Trump in America today. Like when people think there's too much chaos, they often want a just strong man figure to come in and 
fix things. And if you're the one who things are being fixed for, that can look good. If you're the one who things are being fixed on, uh, it's not. And to me, I think like like one of my favorite books is Lost Stars. Uh, I'm sorry, I think it's Lost Star. Yeah, have you have you read that one, Aaron? I have not. It's it's a it's a great love story about one person who goes towards the empire, one person who goes towards the rebellion. But a lot of it's about how if you grew up in the Clone Wars and then you grew up in the corruption that came afterwards, yeah, having the Empire come in and, like, stop people from, like, raiding your town all the time and, like, get there to be working power and water and stuff like that, it feels appealing. And especially because, as you said, if if the repression is slowly turned up or the repression is happening to people you don't see, you're not thinking about it as much. And to me, I don't want to get into a whole other conversation, but, like, where I'm going with all this is, to me, that's a big part of how I understand Cyril. Is Cyril feels like someone who like wants more order. He does. He doesn't want to live in a world where two people can get murdered, but we we're gonna kind of cover it up because it doesn't look good to the corporate bosses. And so he's like, oh, the Empire will look into this. Great, you know. And so yeah, I think that part of Dylan's email, especially, is really true. That like, you know, that's part of why people the the Empire wasn't depressing everybody. There were a lot of people who were very happy to have the Empire. Yeah, I I think there's an extent to which you're not oppressed unless you decide you're oppressed, which which isn't like that could be taken exactly the opposite of the way I mean it. What I mean is like when someone tells you to do something, if it's what you want to do, okay, right? But it's like once they start wanting things to be not the way you want, as soon as you don't want it to be the way they want it to be, now, you know. Right. Like it's all, it's always oppression, right? But if you're like, oh yeah, well that's what I want anyway. It's like, okay, then I guess you don't mind, right? And I mean, I think we get a ton of that in our own world where, you know, people, where there's a lot of things that are super messed up, but it's like, well, it's maybe messed up in a way that benefits me. So I'm not really going to say anything, you know? Right. Um, yeah. I, I do think there are governance failures or like, certainly intelligence failures and stuff that we see in the empire in terms of both the running of the prison, the ISB's reaction and the the emperor's reaction to Aldani, um, you know, the handling of things on Ferrix. Like, I think we see them not, um, not respond to things really intelligently or effectively. Although maybe that's not exactly what Dylan means. Maybe, Maybe he's talking more about like, you know, making things function. I was, when I was watching the, you know, everything yesterday and, and Lee comes in and she's like, it's the prison episode and they're talking about the unlimited food. She's like, why don't they just give everyone unlimited food? Like if they can do that, <laughs> like, oh, well, they only want to give these people unlimited food because they want them to be strong to work and do their work for them. But it's like, I mean, if you have this technology where it's like, yeah, you can just, you know, you can give everyone flavor. Like it, it seems like, Building a structure like that could be aimed at benefiting people, but it's like it it never really is, is it? Well, maybe to some extent. It's like we might have the resources to do good things for everyone, but it benefits us to to limit that. Right, exactly. Nothing to do with our own world at all. Nothing nothing at all. I see no parallels. (laughs) We've got one other feedback I wanted to ring up, and then we can switch to Ahsoka talk. Um, and I think this is going to be about a book that I don't know if any of us have read, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So Joshua Jenkins wrote in uh, specifically about episode nine of Andor, which is the never more than 12. So it's like the, begin- the one right before the prison break. And he wrote in, so I had an epiphany about 15 minutes after I finished watching this episode. 
Andor's character in this prison drama very closely mirrors the Holocaust survivor from the story Mouse. Uh, I haven't read it, but Mouse is a great... It was one of the first, like, kind of graphic novels to be taken very seriously, and it's all about mice who are oppressed. It, it, is, it is a Holocaust story where the Jews are mice and the Nazis are cats. Um, Vladek is a hustler. He is anxious, guarded, and always looking for an angle. His story of survival in the camps, the one trait he has above all else, parentheses, the why me survivor's guilt of it, he could always imagine the worst possible situation. While the Nazis tried to keep them in the dark, control information, he made friends and listened to rumors. When others said they would never, he made plans for them doing the unspeakable. Andor has this clarity through anxiety others lack. He sees the work camp for what it is long before the viewers do for sure. That's a really interesting perspective, and I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. How so? Um, just like how Andor really sees it for what it is. Like, everyone else is like, okay, we go in, we do our time. Eventually, we get out. You know, it's back-breaking work. It's mindless. It's the worst. We get fed mush through a tube. But yeah. we'll get out eventually. And I think Cassian, from the get-go, has a big doubt about that. He's like, okay, I didn't do anything, and I'm still here for six years. What's to say? They're telling us we're going to get out. What's right. to say we will get out? What's to say we live to see that? Like... Yeah, I just think that's mm-hmm. a really good yeah. way to put it. Yeah, in some ways, it it's I think what makes Kino's story, which was the one that really saw most of in that episode, so heartbreaking because, like, he's in this prison, but he's kind of like the first prison. You know, he's he has a, a higher situation than the other prisoners, and I always wonder, like, does that mean he gets more food? I mean, he's still in the prison just like everyone else, but certainly he has more power and authority. And so he's probably the one who, kind of, Paul, what you were saying, like, within the prison, he might be the most feeling like, okay, the system isn't so bad, or, like, we'll get through it somehow. And a lot, you know, that great scene of Andor saying, like, why do you think they're listening? Why do you think they care about us? Nobody's um, listening. That was the that was yeah. the title of the episode, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got the never more than 12 line wrong, so I had to get the never listening part. Right, right, well. right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to stay on brand. But, yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I, I haven't read Mouse, but I think... Uh, I can just imagine what that comparison is, and it makes all sense to me. Yeah, I think Andor's, like, real power is observation and innovation, basically. Like, he's he sees things. He's always looking around. Like, going into that prison the first time, they're like, eyes front, eyes front. You know, they keep reminding him, telling him, don't look that way. You know, and he's, like, looking in the – he's trying to find, oh, what are they saying? What are they saying? Kino's like, stop it. Like, you don't – they, they don't – you're not going to get any information this way, you know? And like, he's just always trying to see everything that's going on around him, trying to think about the people and kind of what their motivations are. And then always trying to like find an angle, you know, he's always, he's always trying to get out of wherever he is, you know, when he's on Ferrix in the first point, he's trying to get out of the, out of there. Then, you know, anyway, but like he, I, I don't think so much that he is the first one who thinks that they're not getting out. I think Melshi is the one who actually mm-hmm. first thinks, oh, yeah, we're not getting out of here. Um, and, and Andor catches that, right? He hears that from Melshi and, and he believes it. I, I think the fact that it's a work camp is like, like that. At first, I thought that's what Joshua was saying that like he realizes it's like a work camp, but whatever. That's, that's, that's not what you're saying, right? That's, that's clear, right? But that, mm-hmm. that it's, it's a, uh, 
I mean, that it's a permanent labor camp, right? Not like yeah. prison labor in our world where, which is really frighteningly, terribly similar to the, the situations in, in this prison, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that like, yeah, they're not letting them go. And I think Melshi's the one who's kind of pushing that narrative. But like Andor is as soon as he hears it, he's like, yes, that makes sense. Let us get out of here immediately. You know, and he's right. just instantly scheming and reacting and, and trying to trying to find an angle. Always looking for an angle. That was that's uh, the, the quote from this email. And that that's spot on. Yeah. I think so. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you all who had uh, uh Great emails about Andor. Uh, we also had some great emails about Ahsoka, some of which are a little bit old. I apologize for. As I've said before, uh, I was not getting emails auto-forwarded to me. So among other things, after finding Aaron's uh, TikTok and getting interested in it, I found an email that Aaron had sent some months ago being like, hey, you guys are an awesome podcast. I'd love to get involved. Uh, so uh, so some of these are a little older. But to start, let's, let's go a little more into Ahsoka's character itself. And Paul... I know you had a question about cosplay that I very rudely said, wait till we talk about Ahsoka. So go ahead with your question. Well, so that is quite all right. Uh, my question was basically like, does all the, you know, the head, like the, the head tails and everything, um, which you had the actual words for, uh, and I apologize for, for missing those. But um, is that like heavy? Because it, it seems like it might be. Yeah. So I think it, it obviously can vary cosplayer to cosplayer how you choose to make it. Yeah. I made mine out of EVA foam, two millimeter EVA foam. So it's pretty lightweight, glued it all together. And it was probably definitely under a pound, you know, very light. Oh, okay. But mm-hmm. I wanted um, a little more realisticness because they mm-hmm. do seem heavy. They seem thick, you know? Yeah, right. And so I filled the leku, the tail parts, I filled them with right. weighted beads. So that when oh, I moved, okay. they kind of move around a little bit. And now yeah. it's probably like three or four pounds. Okay. Not heavy, but heavy enough that if I wear it for a full con, my ears kind of start to hurt, you know? (laughs) And like you can feel it. It has a weight to it, but it's not like crushing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's good. Yeah. I I remember Rosario Dawson for for filming Ahsoka. Like, I I think what I've seen in your cosplay, it's also similar. Like in in the show, the animated show, by the time she's an adult, her legs were quite long. And and they're shortened significantly for Rosario Dawson's costume because it just, yeah it, at at that length it would have been far more pounds than she could have held up um, comfortably on her head. And then like choreographing lightsaber fights, with, you know that that that's a little added complexity to to moving about mm-hmm. that yeah, way. That, that was something that I like initially when I saw Mandalorian. I was pissed. I was like, um, what is this? What are these leku? Like, Togruta's leku grow as they age. Like, these should be down to her hips by now. And I know a lot of people felt that way. And I feel badly now for going down so hard on them. Because, like, of course, it has to be realistic as far as what Rosario Dawson can do. And I know for the Ahsoka show, they have changed it a little bit. They have lengthened her leku a little to get it closer to how it would how it was at the end of season seven. That being said, I've done some more research on Togrutas. That's her species. And um, they actually, as they age, depending on stress levels, nutrition, things like that, their leku can shrink rather than mm. grow. So I've come to understand that, except that Ahsoka has been under a lot of stress. You know, any family she's ever had has been destroyed and ripped away from her. The one person she loved and trusted the most, her big brother, 
has tried to kill her multiple times as a dark Sith Lord. Like, girl's got a lot of stress going on. I can excuse her <laughs> Leku shrinking a little. She got, like, dragged through space and time or something, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, that too. That, that, can, that can put a toll on the, you know. <laughs> I, I like that interpretation quite a lot. And, and just to go a little bit further in that, like, you talked about how at Seven, like, you really loved her in the Clone Wars. Uh, in some ways, I feel like you were at the perfect age then because we got to see her age in the show at about the same time you were doing the same. Like, mm-hmm. how, how did your kind of feelings about about her kind of grow and change as we got, as you, uh, Paul talked about how awesome season seven uh, Ahsoka was and, and our, our viewers, our listeners aren't going to hear this, but I saw you just visibly react on the camera about how much you loved that season. Yeah. yeah so how, how was kind of your feelings of her uh, evolved and changed? Yeah. So, I mean... I'm fortunate because I'm around the age she was when she was introduced into the story. So, like, she is the perfect character for me. Very relatable. Like, she was young. Like, I thought Snips was the best name. Like, yeah, she's snippy. She's sassy. Looking back, pretty cringy. But, you know, I was obsessed with that. Love that. I'd be like, hey, you should call me Snips. Try to get people to call me Snips. <laughs> yikes. Did, looking back, what, very yikes. I what does that even mean? Years. We all make better mistakes. <laughs> I, I don't even know what snips means, which isn't in the Spanish translation, by the way, or the, I think the German. Oh, so good point. I didn't even really hear it till later. I was like, what? What is this? Yeah, I think it's just because she's so like outspoken and kind of like headstrong. Oh, like snippy? And Yeah, snippy. Exactly. Oh, like she's okay. sassy. She has quick comebacks for Anakin. And sure. so it's his way to like put her in her place. Like, hey, snips. Right. Keep it right. together. Like stop doing that or whatever. Hmm. Um. Oh, yes, but back to Ahsoka and how she's grown and changed. Um, Yeah, it was really cool seeing her grow and the way she changes from being so naive, doing things so impulsively, you know, like torturing prisoners and acting the way Anakin would, you know, pulling out her lightsaber when it's not necessary. Um, To see her kind of grow, whereas when she's... um, So her official age starts as 14. By the time she gets an outfit change in, I think, season three of Clone Wars, she's um, 15 and 16 is her mm-hmm. age range for that. And so I think it's cool to see her kind of growing into more of an adult. And that's when you see her differing from Anakin a little bit. You see there's a scene actually where he's torturing someone, going after them, really trying to get this information. And she says, hey, master. Like calm down you know like take a step back think about it right and so i think that's cool to see her grow from like anakin's little sidekick anakin's little like bestie ready for whatever you know to kind of understanding what the jedi should be and seeing those differences in anakin and trying to Mm -hmm. pull him a little back to like hey we should be maybe a little more hands-off a little more mediator as we said um I think that's yeah, Anakin does not want to be a mediator. He wants no. to fix things. <laughs> he just wants to stick his hands in the sandbox and figure it all out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so seeing Ahsoka grow and like I liked that she got a lot more story arcs on her own. There was one where she was abandoned, lost on an island with a bunch of other abandoned Jedi younglings and they kind of Mm-hmm. relate on certain things, they disagree on certain things, she gets more perspective on the Jedi, like, hey, why were you guys left here? Why didn't your masters come for you? You know? And she's saying, yeah. oh, my master's gonna come for me, my master's gonna come for me. And they're all saying, no, he's not. And then he yeah. does. Yeah. And that's how Anakin's different than other Jedi. Mm-hmm. 
Um, back to Ahsoka. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite turns for her um, is after the wrong Jedi arc when she leaves the Jedi Order and is kind of just thrown out into the world. And I'm trying to remember if we see her again before the seventh season. I don't think so. I think I the seventh season is when, when she comes back. Yeah, yeah. So that was heartbreaking for me, having her tossed mm-hmm. out of the show. But yeah. in retrospect, it's the best and only thing they could have done with her character, really. But yeah. um, Yeah, if she was too involved... Like right before Revenge of the Sith, it just would, it would feel like, how was she not in the movie? Right? Yeah. But they actually made it work. Yeah. It's right. like you either have to kill her or get really creative. Yeah. And you're and- not going to kill her. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> well, we're going to have some words. <laughs> and, and to me, it's one more way that the Clone Wars, I, I think, and this is not to bash the prequels. But I, I always thought the prequels didn't do a good enough job of helping me understand why Anakin fell. Mm. Uh-huh. And to me, if you tell me that, like, clearly in the third movie, Anakin has a lot of distrust for the Jedi, and is why Palpatine is able to play on that. And if you tell me that there was this person who literally was trying to help Anakin be more like a Jedi. Yeah. Like, the way you were saying that, Aaron, it makes the tragedy of her being the one to get kicked out all the more real. Mm-hmm. But that also helps me. Yeah. Like if I was Anakin, like, yeah, that would having Ahsoka get kicked out would make me even more distrustful of the Jedi and even more open to this nice fatherly figure. Who's the one person who's listening to me. And it's like, maybe the Jedi aren't perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And losing that connection with her, who, who was, I mean, she was as much his teacher as he was her teacher in terms of like their relationship, right? Not her being like, Oh, this is how you should use the force. But like, well, maybe this is how you shouldn't use the force. You know, just like that, that relationship was so important to him in that period of time. And then when she's gone and she's not there, it, it, you know, it makes more sense that he then goes off and is who he is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the Ahsoka feedback that we got. Um, so the first is, uh, and this was from back when we were talking, I believe this was, comes from when we were talking about uh, some stuff in season seven, uh, and it's from Jordan Shelby, and he writes, uh, it's from Jordan Shelby, and they write, I've been an MCU podcast listener, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, another great podcast, uh, I'm part of the Stranded Panda Network, I've been an MCU podcast listener for years and just started following your pod, and I wanted to say thank you. I've recently been going through some hard times, and having your incredible commentary on Star Wars has been such a needed outlet, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I'll just say, I, I love hearing that. It means so much to me. Thank you. Uh, I'm really glad we can be there for you, because I know this has really been a helpful thing for me. Um, and then go on to some other things, and uh, talks about, y'all talked about the dilemma Ahsoka is in with killing the clones on her escape from the ship. I think initially, after Order 66, she has to react for survival. Once she assesses the situation, she tells Rex to set for stun. Later, in the same hangar bay I mentioned above, she appears defeated and states she doesn't want to hurt the clones. It's Rex that almost gives her permission to do what is necessary after his monologue. And seeing Rex's tears when Ahsoka pulls off his helmet, so moving. I feel like this when coming home... I feel like this when coming from a clone adds some moral standing to her decisions moving forward to escape from the ship at the expense of any clones along the way, and ultimately the ship's going down. Would love to hear any of y'all's take on this. All the best, Jordan. I have a lot to say about this. Yeah, go for and it. And Ahsoka's relationship with the clones. So, um, 
going back to, I think, season two of The Clone Wars, we have an episode arc with Ahsoka Tano and Barriss Afi, who's uh, Luminara and Dooley's Padawan, mm-hmm. who eventually turns to the dark side and she sets up Ahsoka for the temple bombing. Yeah. Um, but back when they were besties, um, <laughs> they're on this supply mission to bring medical supplies to a medical station. And it's just them and a bunch of clones after the second battle of Geonosis kind of trying to rest and recoup. And um, as it turns out, the clones have been infected with Geonosian worms. Um, And it's a like mind control worm. Mm -hmm. And so the clones um, turn on Ahsoka. They turn on Barriss. They're trying to kill them. And Ahsoka and Barriss are like, hey, what's going on? They know the clone. Hey, Scythe, what are you doing? What's going on? Like, you wouldn't do this, you know? Um, and Barris, she's fighting the clone. She's We see her stab a clone. We see her slash them. Ahsoka's cutting their guns. She's pushing them with the force. She's not as aggressive with her tactics because she really sees the clones as people and loves them in a way that a lot of Jedi don't. And I yeah. think that Anakin sees them the same way she does. And that's why she sees them that way. Whereas Barriss's master probably doesn't think of them in the same humane way. And that's why Barriss was so happy, not happy, but willing to cut them down. And so this whole story arc shows Ahsoka that, hey, sometimes things happen like to people that you love and trust and they act a way that you don't understand and you just have to have faith that they wouldn't do this. And so, like, she chooses not to kill them, knowing that that's not in their nature. And in the end, she's proved that that's the correct thing to do. The worms are eradicated, whatever. And I think that goes to show why she, during Order 66, was so ready to, um, like, defend herself from the clones. Because, actually, in that first scene where the clones start shooting at her on the, um, I think it's called the bridge, which is dumb for a mm-hmm. ship, but bridge. Um, and I believe she actually doesn't kill anyone. She, they're all firing at her from all sides. And she's deflecting each bolt into the ceiling. Not at yeah. any of the clones. And that's how she escapes, is it blows out the ceiling, she goes into the vents. And so right from the get-go, she's like, they're, they've turned on me. I hear their guns, like, training on me, but I know they wouldn't do this. Like, these are my brothers. These are my friends. And so then when Rex is, like, fives, you get, like, fives, fives new, or whatever it is that he says that makes her mm-hmm. go and look into fives. And she understands so quickly, like, oh, this mind control is real. Like, I knew they wouldn't do this. There must be a way to save them. And she's able to help Rex. And yeah, I just think it was interesting. I loved how they showed that, or it kind of like pulled the story arc from season two up to season seven. It's funny. I'd never made that connection until you pointed it out, but it's so true. And like, um, to me, it's it's especially jarring when you compare like a lot of the clone, a lot of the Jedi just never expect it. And so they die um, or Obi-Wan gets away. But then like Yoda, who's like the most serene, like Anakin, you have to let go. He's like, oh, they're starting to pull their guns. Okay. Two decapitated clones. Uh-huh. No questions. No, no attempt to disarm them. He's just like done. Stabs one um, of them through the chest, and- backs flips off of him. Like, yeah. Okay, yep. Yoda. <laughs> and literally um, the first episode of the Clone Wars is Yoda telling 
a few clones that like they matter, right? That their lives right. matter, and like no, you're you're real people. Everybody, you know, the flows force flows through everybody. Oh, you you might be no dead, 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 dead. It, 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 it's a little jarring when you compare those two. Whereas you know, season two and seven in Ahsoka's arc is like, oh yeah, of course. If only you could right. like just freeze the chips out of everybody's head, like uh, the worms or whatever, right? Yeah, I think those. <laughs> And I think part of part of why I love that storyline so much, I think is it to me one of the reasons that makes Rebels so good is because like people often compare Rebels to Clone Wars. I think that's kind of silly because to me, so much of what Rebels is good at is paying off the things that were set up in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of my favorite episodes of the Clone Wars are I'm sorry, some of my favorite episodes of Rebels are when Rex and Ahsoka reunite. And you can tell that he still has some guilt about what happened, and she st- she kind of forgives him in some way. And it just it's just and and like you can see like the, even to the tension between him and Kanan and how Ahsoka kind of is able to step in there. It's just it, it's so beautiful, and it just in many ways it's funny that we had her so little on like live action screen because I think she's one of the most well developed characters we have in the entire saga, if not the most, in terms of just how much content we've had and how much of her growth we've seen. Literally from a child to to an adult, yeah. uh, and to an adult now, quite well into her adulthood. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think the only person we see in that similar age range is Anakin. Yeah, from child to adulthood, death. You know, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think. <laughs> I, I think her her arc is. I was thinking, is it the best arc? Then I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be the best or not the best or whatever. It's like it's a great arc. There aren't really arcs that are better. Like there's there's a few other arcs that I think are really good. You know, and yeah. and not even just in terms of good, but just like in terms of how much was put into making this arc an arc, as opposed to yeah. oh, there's going to be a couple points where there's going to be a pivot or something. You know, yeah. um, and. And like Anakin, I think has obviously, you know, the, the thing was it, was, it was kind of built around him originally, right? And so like his, his character points all get paid off, you know, spectacularly. Um, but then Ahsoka got this like, this like full, like slow burn development. Like we didn't see Anakin from like age, what is it like 10 until like 20 ish or something? I don't know exactly yeah. his ages, right? But there's, there's that gap from the Phantom Menace to uh, Attack of the Clones. And we get all of that for Ahsoka. That's like most of Ahsoka's arc. And for a lot of people, it's like a very formative time of life, right? Yeah. In terms of especially changing and kind of, um, you know, figuring out who you are as a person. And, and so we see that with Ahsoka. Um, and I, I actually, like, if if we're going to talk about the Ahsoka show upcoming, which, like, I try to, like, not really have too many expectations for things in general. But, like, I almost hope to see an Ahsoka without a character arc because I feel like – and I, I say this fairly often that, like, I don't think every show needs a protagonist with an arc. I'd kind of like yeah. to see – fully formed Ahsoka doing fully formed Ahsoka things, you know, and I'm not saying like she shouldn't have emotions and feelings and go through stuff, but just like, I feel like I hope that Dave Filoni doesn't feel like I have to have Ahsoka in one place in episode one and then some other place in episode six or seven. Like I would hope that there's a feeling like, yeah, this can just be like just Ahsoka 
trying to do something as who she is. And like, there doesn't have to be some dramatic change because she's already had that dramatic change, you know? Yeah. And if there is a dramatic change, and there's a good reason for it. Fine. I, I'm not going to argue against that or whatever, but like, I, I like sometimes seeing a character that we've already seen. Okay. How did they become who they are? Okay. Now what are they doing? You know, the same yeah. way, like yeah. season two of Andor, like season one of Andor, I think I haven't seen a better character arc executed than that. Like in fiction, basically, you know, just about like it's a slow burn across 12 episodes, how this guy goes from this person to this person, you know, and kind of maybe how he becomes who he's going to be. I hope season two is just him being who he's going to be, you know, but like trying to accomplish goals and maybe trying to create change in other people, which also happens in season one, like with Kino and yeah. et cetera. So, yeah. Anyway. Justice for Kino. Justice I for just Kino. I just have to say that. Justice for I mean, Kino, boy. We didn't see what happened, so you can make your own headcanon about it, just like you can make your own headtail canon about Ahsoka. <laughs> Look, three or four people can help carry someone through the water to shore. You sure, know, exactly. I, I think Kino yes. can be alive. He um, could go back in, shoot all those other people, wait for an Imperial ship to come and land, and then hijack it and take it somewhere. Maybe he's off-world already. We don't know. Could be. Uh, I, I have some thoughts about what Paul said, especially about the Ahsoka show. But, Aaron, I'm guessing you have some thoughts about that show uh, coming up. So uh, I'll let you go first. Yes. Okay. Um, Paul, I love what you said. Like, I didn't think about it that way. But, like, I agree. She doesn't need necessarily a character arc. Like, we have seen so many character arcs with her. We have seen yeah. every single good and bad thing that has happened to her to make her who she is. Like we all understand the depths or if you've seen all the media and you love the character, like I do, you understand all the depths of why she does what she does, why she treats people the way she does. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it would be great to see her. Do you guys know what the premise is for the Ahsoka show? I, well, uh, I don't I'm know, really, but I, I we're can both, infer we're both it, I think. Right. Wait, what'd you say, Paul? I said, I don't know what the premise is, but I, I kind of assume that I have a good guess. Have you seen the end of Rebels? Yes. Yeah. That's that's uh, my uh, guess. But okay. Let me say, Paul, do yeah. you want to have this conversation? Because I, I'm guessing you might get spoiled on some of the stuff that's been in the trailers, or should we just hold off on it entirely? There's trailers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I... I um... There's casting news. There's no. Trailer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I avoid all of those things. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen anything yet either. Oh. Okay. So I think we'll be fairly spoiled. Okay. So if we're if we're purely speculating, then I'm in. Yes. Okay. So yeah. sorry, Aaron. Continue. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm just really excited to see like, who is this like mature Ahsoka? Because I remember when I first watched The Mandalorian, I kind of, I saw, I saw Ahsoka. I saw Rosaria Dawson. I saw the incredible performance, but that wasn't my Ahsoka. Like mm. it didn't connect as Ahsoka to me because mm. I, at the time I hadn't seen Rebels. So I didn't understand her full character growth oh, okay. and oh, everything yeah. she had been through. And so going back and watching it, everything makes a lot more sense. And she's just like, she's so much more reserved. She's calm. She's sure of herself. She understands what she needs to do and why she needs to do it. And I think it would be really great to see her as like, like a leading character, like a, almost like a Gandalf character. Like she's the wise one in her own show. 
She's not the one yeah. who's there to do the learning. She's there yeah. to teach Sabine. She's there to teach whoever she comes across, you know, hypothetically yeah. Ezra at some point. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that's true. I, I feel like there's two, there's one thing that I feel like I really want the show to give me in some way. And another that like, I think this could be cool, but it's not needed. The, the second one being like, if we're going to see any growth, yeah, I wouldn't want it to be like, my understanding is the show is set in the kind of Mandalorian Boba Fett time mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. Re- Return of the Jedi, when the New Republic is getting established. We don't need growth of her then. There's a time where it's not even as much character growth, because I think the Ahsoka, the Ahsoka novel helps you understand how she gets from the end of Rebels to the person who will become Fulcrum. But there's still 15 years of her life Clone that we Wars. just don't know. I certainly wouldn't mind some flashbacks during that time. And if that becomes somewhat of an arc, sure. But I think for the most part, yeah, we don't need that at all. The one thing that I want desperately, and this is maybe you can call it fan service. I don't know. I want to get to see the moment where Ahsoka learns that Anakin came back Mm. at the end and saved Luke. And like, right. Like, and I, um, I don't know if that's going to be like her interactions with Force Ghost Anakin. I don't know if we're going to see like Luke tell her that or someone else tell her that. But I just like it was great seeing Rosario Dawson. But the fact that we saw her like already with Luke as though all those conversations had happened already just made me tear my hair out. (laughs) Um, And so because like as far as we know, at least by the time of Rebels, Ahsoka doesn't know. I don't think she has any like no one's told her that Padme's kids lived. No one told her that Luke and Leia are out there at all. Yeah. Uh, or even that there's twins, uh, let alone that, you know, Anakin comes back. And so, yeah, I I will not in any way be disappointed. I think it's important to let the show be what the show is, not what you want it to be. But I feel like if we don't get that moment on screen in some way, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah, feel like that... No, you, you go. I feel like that could be done in, like, a flashback style, kind of like you were saying. Yeah. What I would love to see for that, like, it would be great to see like a conversation between her and someone who knows that it happened you know Luke Leia something yeah. like that but I would love to see the moment she feels Anakin in the light again because she oh. knows who he is she knows who that feels like you know right. and so when he fell to Vader she felt him disappear she thought he was dead she couldn't find Anakin in the force anymore and that's something we see in the seventh season of Clone Wars and so I would love to see something where maybe she's alone Maybe she's meditating. Maybe she's going about everyday lives, getting something at the market. And we see her feel the change. Right. And, like, feel him come and feel him leaving. And that she can, like, understand that piece. Like, that's what I would love to see. Okay. Well, now I need that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like, that... Especially because, like, I think one of the, the questions always is, is, like, why wasn't she at the Battle of Endor? Why didn't she get involved again? And, like, I, I don't want to get too... Now we're getting high-end expectations because that sounds fantastic. I don't know if we're going to see that. I mean, but, like, to have that in part be, like, why does she get back involved again, you know, uh-huh. after... Because, I know, you know, she's mostly just looking for, for Ezra and all that, which I think is the explanation for why she's not involved in, in, the, in the Civil War and all that. But, ooh, yeah, I, that would be... That'd be amazing to see. Quick logistical point. I thought she didn't exist in that time period. Like at the end of Rebels, Ezra pulls her out of getting killed by Vader. And then she's like in the time of no time or whatever it's called. 
And then I think oh, yeah, she right. goes elsewhere. Like, I don't think she's, like, chilling somewhere else during Return of the Jedi. Like, I yeah. think she does not exist during the original trilogy. And then she pops back into time and space sometime mm. after that. You're very right there. I forgot about that. Okay. Well, well then my head canon is she pops back in while they're planning the battle, like at while the, while the rebel fleet is massing near Solust, you know, five days before the Battle of Endor, because then she gets to have that moment. <laughs> All right. So one more email uh, I want to get into, and then we can wrap up. It's gone really long. I think we've had so many good things to discuss here. Uh, and this uh, email comes to us from, uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Elysia Brenner. Uh, and it's about Ahsoka in Tales of the Jedi. So if you haven't seen that, you know, hit pause, watch it, come back. Alicia writes, I know I'm a couple weeks late on this, but I got behind in all my podcasts due to a family visit and just catching up now. Totally get that. I've done that. Let me start by saying I've enjoying your coverage of everything Star Wars, and I especially appreciate you going back to cover all the animated series and throw in extras like coverage of the books, games, even legends. Deeply appreciate it, and your conversation brings up many ideas. Thank you, as always. But I have to respond to some of the discussion during Tales of the Jedi Ahsoka episode. First, to establish where I'm coming from. I'm an animal-loving vegetarian raised in part by a Native American community, Padawanami to be specific, once upon a time a woodland tribe a bit like Ahsoka's. As such, I just wanted to put out there that I love to see Native American cultural ideas incorporated into storytelling, as long as they're handled respectfully, which was absolutely done here. And as you pointed out, they were blending cultures here, which is basically the backbone of all fantasy. But Ahsoka's village felt real and lived in. Her people were not written off as sand people, in quotes, Star Wars is growing as a franchise. This is particularly true for me in the way they handled the hunt. I'm totally with Paul objecting to every time they needlessly kill a Bantha. It mars the rest of the experience. It mars the rest of the experience every time it happens. As I said, I'm a vegetarian, largely because eating animals feels monstrous to me. But I recognize that it's a personal decision and not necessarily natural to animals like us. I have several family members and close friends who work in the meat industry, and I respect their conscientious decision to eat meat. What's important is that they understand what they're doing. I can't kill an animal, so I won't eat it. I don't feel I've earned that, my other reasons for not eating meat aside, but take my older sister, for example. She runs a bull ranch in Oklahoma. The cattle there live good lives with lots of room to run around. They eat organic whole green feed, which translates to more income for the meat. And even with 200 plus head, my sister gives every single one of them a name. Her favorites come running up and rub against her like cats, with me cowering behind. They're huge and can get aggressive. But when the time comes, she sends them off to be slaughtered and then goes to lunch and eats a burger. I will never begrudge my sister that burger because I feel like she's earned it, physically and emotionally, if that's what she wants given her relationships with animals in general, given the context of thousands of years of human evolution. Uh, Paul, your restraint in not jumping in so far is greatly admired. <laughs> I figure I'd let you finish. You know, This is what I really appreciate about the first Ahsoka episode. The way the mother shows her, we kill this animal to feed ourselves, to use its hide and bones, but we never turn away from what we're doing. They honor the animal, comfort the animal as it dies. This is a level for this is the level of compassion for animals I don't think we've seen in Star Wars yet. I still won't eat meat, but I get, I'm glad this example is out there for those who do. Okay, I thought I was going to be a lot more succinct than that. LOL. So thank you for reading this far and letting me get that off my chest. Looking forward to your Tales of the Jedi Dooku episode, which we really should do one of these days, and more Andor Rebels and the rest. Thanks, Elisa Brenner. Um, Paul, mm. you have before. Yeah. I <laughs> 
Yeah. So a, a lot of things there. Um, first of all, thanks for the, the very thoughtful and well thought out email. Um, I am going to disagree with a lot of things, but, uh, I do appreciate the way that, that you've expressed yourself. Um, the, the first thing that I, I want to talk about and like really agree with, um, this maybe not agree, disagree, but like whenever a, like an earth culture is borrowed from or represented on screen, but particularly like borrowed from for fantasy and sci-fi. Um, I think it's like totally legitimate for just different people to have different reactions to that. Right. And so I know when we covered this, I think, um, Professor Matthew Capel referred to that as feeling kind of exploitative, right? And I think that's a way to see it. But if, if you feel like represented in that way, like I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think that's, that's cool, you know? Um, and I think it's just like a really hard thing to do, you know? I mean, like I think a lot of the, most of the, the negative um, things I've seen about people talking about Andor is specifically in terms of like, how did it deal with, um, you know, representing or not really representing, you know, certain cultures that are, you know, more earth cultures that then are borrowed from, right, for, for right. these, these uh, galactic cultures. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, it's just very difficult and some things are going to resonate more with some people and some are, are going to grate with other people. And so I'm, I'm glad that this episode, um, resonated with you in that way. You know, um, I personally, I'll say, um, I am part native American on both sides of my family, but I've never had any real contact with native American culture in, in a, in a direct way. That wasn't part of my life. Um, growing up or, or as an adult. Well, actually as an adult, technically the longest employer I had was a tribe, but that, <laughs> that's in the casino business and neither here nor there. But, um, but yeah, I, I will say that as a, as a child, um, you know, as a vegetarian from a young age, um, from like five, when I was learning about native American cultures, right. Cause obviously there's a huge number of native American cultures and, Sadly, there were many more before, you know, all, all the genocide and, um, horrors. And I, I always felt a certain resonance in terms of this, like, respect for nature and respect for animals. And I, I do feel like if this whole episode, like, if they didn't have guns, I would have felt a little differently, you know, and if they killed the animal right away, I would have felt a little differently. I do feel like being like, look at this animal that is suffering because I have shot it with a gun and like, I am going to explain things to you, a toddler who probably can't actually understand and make sense of my words, except maybe she can because she's a Jedi and like a genius or whatever. I don't know. But like generally a child of that age will not understand really, you know, a lot of words, right? Um, I did feel like that was torturing the animal for the benefit of, of baby Ahsoka in theory, right? Um, and so that struck me as, as really gross and unpleasant. And like, I was like, I, 
I didn't, I mean, I didn't even watch the entire scene. Like I went out and I came back. So, um, so I can't speak to all the details of it, but I, you know, I saw the gist of what was going on. I was like, no, no, thank you. You know? Um, and so, so that I feel like is, you know, there's, there's something that I do respect more or ha- hold less against than certainly the way, you know, animals are treated and, um, you know, grown for human enjoyment in modern, you know, United States, at least in most of the world. Um, I do think that there is something different here that is, is portrayed differently, um, that I still don't like. I still have problems with, but I don't have problems in the same way, um, right. or to the same degree, maybe. Um, in terms of, you know, somebody, treating their animals really well and then killing them and eating them. I just think most humans have this overwhelming sense of entitlement to the lives of non-humans. And I don't believe there's anything you can ever do to have earned the life of another. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like degrees of horrible, you know, and it's like, well, that sounds horrible. Yes, it sounds way less horrible than like the way p- pigs are treated and, you know, the way most cows are treated in, in factory farming. Like just driving in California, you drive up the five and you see these giant trucks just filled with cows just crushed in there against each other. And, and that like, it makes it hard to drive for me, you know? Um, yeah. and, but I, I, I do, you know, I respect the difference. But not to the extent where I'm like, yeah, that seems fine, you know, and and so I I always try and, you know, it's like to me, it's like the empire, right? The empire blowing up a planet is worse than a lot of the other oppression that the empire engaged in, even though there was there were genocides, right? There were um, displacements and all of those things are still it's like whether it's. Is it all a 10 and then one's just a 10 times a billion or I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, that's just like never something that I'll, I'll co-sign, um, outside of like, yeah, if we're talking about, you know, a tribe origi- originally like living in the wilderness and not having, you know, structures and, and, and technology, you know, to me, the technology like definitely you get to a point where it's like, okay, but do you have other options? And once the answer is yes, then I don't really care about evolution. I think we have agency. And so, you know, our actions are our actions. There are choices. And right. yeah. End rant. <laughs> Aaron, as the person who's never met either of us and just came on to talk about your favorite <laughs> character, why don't you dive into one of the most divisive moral issues of our time and how it's represented in this story? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, Paul, you just made me want to be a vegetarian. <laughs> I now feel extremely guilty. I will say, driving on the highway, I am also that person who starts to cry a little every time I see those trucks with animals. It's absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, the meat industry is a big problem, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And, and it's funny, Paul, because I... Um, you know, I am a meat eater. I try to eat only ethical. I, I try to eat animals that are only come from the kind of farms that are, are um, the, the the person wrote in that yeah. their their sister is 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 running. Um, but even for me, that scene still bothered me a lot for mm-hmm. a lot of the reasons we're talking about. And I think um, 
I think, Paul, what you said about the entitlement is, is for me the key thing. Because I think for me, I would like to believe that in 10 or 15 years I will have stopped eating meat. You know, and mm. I, like to me it's not like a, I think there's a moral good in the fact that I eat meat. I think it's that it is something so ingrained in my culture and my appetite and things like that that I'm slowly weaning myself off of. And people can yell at me for that, which I think is completely fair. Um, but that I'm trying to make it, as you said, Paul, it can be more and more ethical, but still there's always a problem there. And it's the, uh, and again, I don't mean there's any way to insult our, our, the person who wrote in. I really, really appreciate your email and how much thought you put into it. But for me, yeah, it's, it's that I think it is important to be so much more thoughtful. And I like that that's a big thing in the episode, but it, it is when it becomes that entitlement of like now that there's a certain level of morality that if you pass, then there's no more moral judgment in anything you're doing. Um, to me, I think that, and to me, I don't think that's true just about the meat industry. I think, I think there's this, like, to me, like, you know, I, I definitely believe in the idea of, like, no ethical consumption under capitalism, and we all have to make compromises all the time. But I know people who are like, oh, yeah, well, like, I'll eat at Chick-fil-A as often as I want to because I'll also make a contribution to an LGBT group, you know? And, like, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, look, there's nothing else in my area. I'm going to do that every now and then. I wish I didn't, but I'm least going to contribute to try and make up for it. Like, again, I can't, I'm not going to say what is right or wrong exactly. But when you have an attitude of, I've done this one moral good thing, and so therefore I can do these other things that I might think are immoral with complete freedom because I, I've earned that, to me, that's just a fundamental problem. Hmm. Yeah. I think, Paul, about, good. Paul, what you said about um, feeling that like you've earned or you deserve like someone else's life is like, it's a really good way to put it. Like nobody deserves anyone's life, whether you're the same mm -hmm. species, whether you're not, whether it's common for someone to kill that species or not, you don't deserve another sentience being life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just how I feel, you know? And, um, I, I, I do think like, I think it's also important to recognize though, like, yeah, I mean, I, I do things that I don't, I'm like, Oh, I, why am I driving so much? You know, <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's not good for the planet. Like, you know, I mean, even if you're in an electric car, it's like you're still, everything, you know, everybody causes some harm, right? Like, right. and you know, the, the whole, my issue with the like no ethical consumption under capitalism, which I think expresses a very important idea. I think what people take from there sometimes is like, Oh, well, none of it's, you know, it's all the same almost, right? Which I know is yeah. not what you were saying, Matthew, right? It's like right. everything comes with, with consequence. And, um, you know, that's one of the things in, yeah. Okay. I won't yeah. talk about Andor anymore, but like, you know, the point <laughs> being that like it, it, people, everybody ha like causes some damage just like, by existing and like that doesn't mean like you should feel guilty for existing but it's like i do i do think just like trying to be conscious about like okay you know what what harm am i causing can i do things that ameliorate that harm can i avoid doing that harm but like also understanding like you're you're also you know creating good in the world too right it's yeah. like and i'm not someone who like, I will judge every action, like, without mercy, <laughs> including of my own, you know, and I'm not going to be like, oh, well, that's just because this, that's just that. Like, no, the action is the action. And, 
I'll think what about it, what I do, right? And I, and I regard that as a subjective, that is my opinion of it. Um, I feel very strongly about my opinions and I state them as facts, but like, you know, it's, that's just, that's, I see value in the lives of everybody else in, in, of all species. And, and, and that's how I see things. Right. Um, yeah. but at the same time, like, I'm not, I'm not like keeping score, you know, <laughs> I'm not like, Oh yes. Minus 10 points for, you know, <laughs> this behavior or whatever. It's like, yeah, pe- people are people. And you know, yeah, I don't know. And Togruta are people too. You know, and I yeah. also think space. Deer no, I, are people. I, I, I think all that makes sense. And I think that's, and I'll say one thing that struck me when I was hearing the email is I, I do think – I would say, and Paul, I don't know if you'd agree, for me there's a difference in – like I think there's kind of two ethical questions about the eating of meat in this episode. One of which is within the world, how much do we judge or, or how do we feel about Ahsoka's mother making this choice to try to educate her daughter through this process of killing an animal? And second, how do we feel about the writers – choosing to mm. put this scene in that includes the animal taking so long to die and some of the other things that feel so exploitative in that kind of a way. And going to the first, I think in a lot of ways, like I don't love the way that they do it in the first episode, what the Togruta are doing, but I think I have much less of a problem with it than I do the way it was written. And one thing I'll say that wasn't even mentioned here, because I do think it is one more of those, like making it ethically better is as I understand that the animal that she kills is wild. Like, this is not a factory farmed. Yeah. Because to me, I think, um, and again, like, I mean, killing is, is, is always going to be killing. But, like, a, a huge part of what I think is a real problem is, like you said, like, all those animals packed together in pens. The, the, the literal enslavement of animals and kept in these horrible conditions often. The fact that she is going out where animals live, where, like, yes, this animal could be attacked by a tiger or it could be attacked by a tagruda. As you said, Paul, they might have the technology they don't need to. But to me, that that the idea of like an animal that has predators and a sentient being might be one of its predators feels very different than we're going to go into our farm and show you these animals that we have bred and raised specifically so that we can kill them for your education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, first, I just want to say I think that's a really good point about the, you know, feelings about what the characters are doing in the show, but also about. The writers and and for me it's more about the writers honestly like there's another show where you know they have this bird doing like really smart things i'm like oh that's a smart bird and then it's doing something really stupid and gets shot and this is like to close a plot hole and i'm like nope (laughs) like not gonna watch the rest of that show and because that was a that was a choice by the writers right so i'm like why, why did you make this choice um whereas yeah in terms of the tegruda like you know I mean, do they just have guns because they've been colonized by humans? I, I don't know, you know, like that does add more complexity too, right? And, and yes, this is a wild animal. Um, and they are going off on a hunt, which I, I do. If I'm like ranking things, I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's not the same kind of awful as like, you know, uh, Penning, you know, having pigs in in stalls where they are like sitting in their own feces and and can't move. You know, it's like, of course, that's not the same, you know, Um, similarly, having having a ranch with 200 cows that, you know, you treat well until you kill them. Like, yeah, that's not the same kind of horrible. I'm still against it, but like it's definitely different. And I, I think it's important to not just say everything's the same. Right, because everything's not the yeah. same. Um, so, 
I mean, to me, that was the point of Andor more than anything. It's like, yeah, it's so much moral grayness. Absolutely. That was when I was going to then talk about Andor again. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop myself. I won't just always talk about Andor forever. Oh, Lee's so sick of hearing me talk about Andor. <laughs> I'm like, mom, you have to watch Andor so we can talk about Andor. <laughs> I, I, I think we Those are, both are the two on people I talk to. The reason we podcast is we don't bother the people we live with. <laughs> that's, that's the main, yes, yes. That is the, the large function of the podcast. <laughs> and and was... in, no, please. I was going to say, that's why I was so hoping to get on this podcast with you guys. I was like, I just need someone to talk to. <laughs> My dad was like three weeks behind me in Andor. I was like, please. Like, I was holding on to that Justice for Kino line for so long until he understood. <laughs> and I could be like, Kino! <laughs> it, it was very well delivered and appreciated. I, I very much understand that. And it's funny because I, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I know the show that Paul was talking about. And I spent this like, I can't wait to talk to Paul about this show. I can't. They killed the bird. Okay. I never talked to Paul about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and I appreciate that too because and I, I want to tell you, I want to be here for you. I want to help you. And when the Ahsoka show comes out, <laughs> I am sure you're going to have so many thoughts and you're going to want to share them immediately. So just to help you, uh, you've now been drafted. You're going to be one of our co-hosts or guests for the uh, Ahsoka show. Let's go. <laughs> that is more than I could ever want. Just awesome. to talk awesome. about Ahsoka every week. <laughs> We'll make that happen. All right. Well, thank you both so much. This has been awesome. Uh, I want to wrap things up. There's so much more we could say. Uh, But Aaron, we'll start with you. So people who want to find your TikToks or other stuff you're doing online, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm new to the cosplay community, but I'm growing a following nonetheless, as best I can. Um, My username is Lady Tano Creates on TikTok and Instagram. It's Lady period Tano period Creates. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'll document just the changes in my costuming, how I'm making things, the people I'm meeting, events I'm going to, just stuff like that. So if you want to follow along, see me eating sushi dressed up as Ahsoka, you know, drop a follow. I'd love to see you. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. And Paul, what is the uh, Zen Madman up to these days? I don't even know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to have to watch all of Daredevil season one and then season three in like a single day to be like, okay, okay, is this the best one that I've seen? <laughs> or, and then I might have to go back and do The Wire. I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll work in some airbender there. But like, <laughs> I hate comparing things, but I can't. I can't help it. <laughs> I might have to do it. And uh, yeah, I might start streaming again on Twitch as Zen Madman. Uh I probably will. I don't know. We'll see. It'll probably, it might be chess. I might stream more chess this time. I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> oh, and then, then, then the Queen's Gambit. Maybe I'll rewatch the Queen's Gambit. Cause I, that, that is the only show that I was like, maybe, maybe that was the best in the last four years. Cause otherwise I'm going at least back to Daredevil season three. That's fair. That's fair. Well, thank you both to, to both of you. And I also just want to say, uh, I want to take this time as we're almost at the end of the year and the Spotify wrapped numbers have just come out. Uh, it gave me a chance to tell the world that I'm a huge One Direction fan, as well as they might be giants. And um, uh, as my partner likes to laugh at me, there's a if any of you have played um, Animal Crossing, you know uh, I think it's called CK Slider. There's a band called K Clay Slider, something like that. It's just it's just that that style of music doing pop tunes. That's awesome. I rapped. That's all. Long tangent to say, I li- I just found out earlier this week that they also have a wrapped for for podcasts on Spotify and. Um, I was really blown away because uh, this podcast especially, we've had huge growth. I think it's like 200% more listeners than we had last year. Um, 
More than 100 of you have us as your number one podcast. Uh, more, more than 1,200 of you have us in your top 10. But the statistic that really blew me away, both about this podcast and Superhero Ethics, was that, at least on Spotify, and granted, that's only one part of the uh, podcast universe, more than half the time when people found our podcast, it was because one of you had like sent a link to an episode to somebody else or posted it on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or any of that. And I was just so touched by that. That is the single best thing you can do to help this podcast is if you're liking the conversations we're having, like send it to a friend and be like, hey, listen to this so we can talk about it. If you don't like what we're saying, send it to someone else so they can hate listen to it too. <laughs> we're happy to do that. I might not read your comments in air if you're terrible, but I'll take your listening dollars. Um, so uh, but more importantly, beyond the money, it's just it is so great to have more people in this conversation. And I was just so touched to see how many of you have been sharing this with others. So please keep doing that. Please check out all the great things that our guests are doing. Uh, please keep being great fans. You can go to Superhero F- Sorry. You can go to theethicalpanda.com to find all of my podcasts, both this and superhero ethics. You can find all the ways to give us feedback. I promise next time it won't take six months to get to. We're going to try to be much more on top of it. Uh, But thank you all for writing in. Thank you both Aaron and Paul for being guests. And to all of you, please keep climbing. (laughs) 